Welcome back to the Fast Break, Season 2, Episode 11, 161 overall. And today we're going to be recapping the Olympics, uh, in particular uh, Team USA's performance. Uh, Aaron Speed is here. I don't know if he watched as much Olympic basketball as I did, so I'll kind of get us underway. The first thing I want to talk about is uh, Luka Doncic's performance. Uh, I believe he started his international career 17-0. and What are your thoughts on uh, Luka's performance overall internationally? I mean, he's used to the game. I mean, he was an international star. He won Rookie of the Year as a, what, 18-year-old, and then comes to the NBA and is immediately a star as well. You can see some players don't transfer quite as well from the style of play and everything, but he clearly did. He knows what he's doing. He was probably the best player um, over there, but I don't even know if he had any other um, NBA players on his team. I didn't didn't watch him play uh, particularly. I watched a lot of other Olympic sports, gymnastics and swimming and everything, but I didn't watch a ton of the basketball games. I did watch the final game against France, but that was about it. Also, some of their games coming into it, but I think that he, he was definitely ready for the challenge. I mean, he knew what was happening. Uh, I think they ended up in fourth place, losing uh, to Australia. And then so uh, his record or uh, his winning streak was broken. But I think it was really impressive what he ended up doing. Yeah, we'll talk a little bit about Australia after I give my thoughts on Doncic. It's really impressive what he was doing. Like you mentioned, uh, or I guess like you questioned, he'd, he had no other uh, NBA players on that roster with him. Uh, was just kind of leading a bunch of guys who had successful EuroLeague careers and Serbian national or uh, Slovenian national team careers. Um, he did a really nice job. I think it was their first time ever appearing in the Olympics or maybe even uh, a major tournament. So the Olympics or the FIBA World Cup um, and finishing in, in fourth place is nothing to be ashamed of. Uh, I, I think he put up a triple double most games and would have ha- had the Olympic record for points scored in one game uh, if he didn't take himself out without his teammates urging him to go for it. Um, so it showed, it showed me, to me that he had pride in his country and wanted to uh, represent them. We'd see some other stars decline the opportunity to go to Tokyo and compete, and it was really impressive what he did there. Um, but like you mentioned, they got beat by Australia in the third-place game. Patty Mills put up 42 points. Uh, we saw Australia beat Team USA in a, in a scrimmage. I earned, Yeah, I think they did beat Team USA in a scrimmage. So uh, what are your thoughts overall on what Australia accomplished uh, winning the bronze? I just think it's crazy how the Olympics work. Like the U.S. the U.S. team, every single player on that team is an all-star, other than a couple guys at the end of the bench, Calvin Johnson, because Pop's the coach, recruited or whatnot. Jamal McGee was there, I think. But how how does that team, full of what eight stars of their team, lose to a team where the best player is Patty Mills, who like has started probably less than a hundred games in his career? Like that, that doesn't make that doesn't really always make sense to me. Or you, I mean, you have Joe Ingles and Matista. They were starting a guy that doesn't even play in the NBA, and yet they somehow uh, rolled through a bunch of teams with definite NBA talent. And uh, yeah, you mentioned beat U- the U.S. in that scrimmage, so it was just really impressive to me. Uh, Australia has never won a medal, or at least not in the last like uh, modern history. Last. Uh, last, I don't know, 20, 30 years or whatever. There's a statistic up there at some point, but I don't know exactly. It, it's just interesting to me how um, players like this, I guess, uh, may, I don't know if they necessarily have more pride, but they definitely go into it with a lot less to lose. Yeah, I definitely agree. Uh, I think Australia also, they play a unique style there, and uh, every team is 
except everything from the U.S. seemed to understand the distinctive FIBA rules better than we did. Um, obviously, Draymond Green made a very nice play in the finals, knocking uh, an Evan Fournier free throw off the rim, which was uh, would have made it a two-point game, I believe. Um, but Australia has always has had the U.S.'s number for the past three years. I think they beat us three or four times. Um, so yeah, I think it's just the way they play because Patty Mills was dominant the entire tournament. I think pretty much every media outlet had him on had him as the tournament like uh, number two MVP candidate behind Kevin Durant. Um, I think aside from obviously the two best teams, U.S. and French, we'll get to in a minute. I can't think of any other team highlights. Uh, Ruby Hachimura did well for Japan uh, as, as the home team, but I don't, they didn't get out of uh, the group stage, I believe. Nigeria fared uh, slightly well. I think they won a game or two. Czech Republic with Tomas Sadoransky might have won two games. Um, but I think let's get to France and the U.S., the clear two best teams. They met twice. Uh, France won the first game, and the U.S. won the, ch- the gold medal match, obviously. What are your thoughts on, uh, on that uh, mini robbery there, Aaron? Well, I just thought it was interesting that the U.S. actually did lose in an actual game. I mean, they hadn't lost in many years, and even that they lost those exhibition games. Like, USA Basketball is now 55-4 and four in exhibitions, and they lost two this year. So before that, they'd only ever lost two, and they lost that many this year. It's just uh, I don't know what was different about this year. I mean, they seem to have a pretty decent team. I know Drew Holiday and Devin Booker actually ended up being really good. They both uh, were starting by then. So, yeah, I think that it was good that they came back. I think they were definitely the favorites all along, but that game wasn't terribly um, kind of outmatched. Like, it, it ended up being kind of close by the end. You saw that France had, had a couple guys that definitely knew what they were doing. Even the international guys, although they're definitely not as good as the NBA players or they would be playing in the NBA, they know what they're doing and they know their role and they understand what to do and, uh, a lot of these teams have also played together a lot longer, so that's definitely a factor in there as well. Yeah, I think they some of the the roles, the the roles in the team was important. Uh, we saw in France's victory over uh, the U.S. Um, France's point guard, I'm blanking on his name, but he did a really nice job all tournament just finding their NBA guys. I think he plays over in Turkey um, for came in with the V. I can't think of it, but he's been a I think he's won two or three EuroLeague MVPs, EuroLeague Cups. Um, so he's, he's had a decorated career over there and just really, really did a nice job facilitating, taking care of the basketball and played solid on-ball defense against uh, the Team USA's all-star guard play. Um, and we saw late in the stretch of that game, the U.S. just there was no offensive flow, no scheme. It was just chuck up threes and hope to get the rebound, and it didn't end up uh, working out in that game. So – uh, it, it's interesting to see the dynamic of international basketball. Yeah, and you mentioned kind of some of the struggles USA was having at the beginning, and it's not necessarily star power, although I think it was interesting that a lot of the stars kind of opted out. Some of it was injury. Some of the older players just didn't want to kind of take that risk, but even some of the international guys who usually are more willing to play opted out, and then, like, you got Jokic and Giannis and some other guys who just ended up not wanting to play, even not a contract year, stuff like that. So it, it was interesting to me. And uh, one of the teams that really did come together that I thought I would mention was Canada. And all their guys were really interested to play. You have Shea and RJ Barrett and Lou Dort and a bunch of these Canadians who definitely, like, Canada usually doesn't make the Olympics, even though they, I think, have the second most um, country, the second most NBA players. And they had a starting five or eight or so with all NBA guys, but 
uh, they ended up losing in the Czech Republic and uh, Sadoransky and then or in a in a I don't know pre-game uh, uh, to qualifying game. That's the that's the word. Uh, so I, I thought it was interesting, just kind of both these guys deciding not to play and uh, Canada ending up not qualifying. Yeah, it's interesting because they've started to uh, become probably the second or third best or I guess most talented country in the world, and yet they haven't put it together. It didn't even make the Olympics. Um, so we'll see what happens there because, like you said, they I, I think you're right. I've seen that before. They do have the uh, second most NBA players by any country. It was surprising, though. It's just, again, how guys with more experience with the rules and the style of play uh, benefit in high-leverage situations like that. Yeah. Uh, I have one more question just while I'm thinking about it. Do you think Coach Popovich will come back to coach next year? You saw that he kind of got Calden Johnson to play, which is kind of interesting. We had the drama drama where John Morant and Trey Young, both young guards, they were interested in playing, and they tweeted that they, they would have accepted it, but they didn't even get offers, and yet you have uh, Calden Johnston coming up. And a lot of people thought that was kind of the Spurs bias. Popovich uh, also at the beginning was trying to run these schemes that just were not working for the USA. He was trying to run these complicated plays that he's ran for 30 years or whatever, and they just could not get the hang of it. And that's part of the reason why they lost some of these exhibition games. So what do you think of kind of his impact coaching? And I don't know, do you think he'll retire soon or be back in three years? I don't think he'll be back next time for Olympics. I think he'll coach one or two more years with the Spurs. But we've seen guys in the past who have given up Team USA duties uh, while still um, while still holding their normal job. Uh, obviously, Mike Krzyzewski, who is retiring this year, uh, he, he was Team USA's coach for a while, but then stepped down after the last Olympics, I believe. And then Chuck Daly before him didn't finish his career at the same time he finished his Team USA career. So this could be it for Pop internationally, but I think we'll still see a few more years with him in San Antonio. Um, what were your thoughts, though, on, on some of France's schemes? I thought they did a really nice job uh, exploiting the USA's switching defense and getting uh, Rudy Gobert open underneath the basket. Yeah, I mean, they definitely knew what they were doing. They had plays. They had uh, sets they were running. And it was Fournier doing a lot of stuff. And then you have Gobert uh, kind of as the two main facilitators there. I mean, Rudy's not passing the ball, but he was involved in pretty much every action. And it's not – Rudy with the Jazz, I mean, he does a lot of pick and roll. Uh, he's really good at rolling the basket. He's taking a lot of screens. But in this, he was moving all around the court. He's um, getting the ball. He's holding the ball. He's waiting to make the right play. And um, we were, you were mentioning earlier, just everyone has different roles. And even him being probably the best player on the team, I mean, definitely the best player on the team, he was even playing a different role than he's used to in the NBA. And uh, with the game, he was able to be even more dominant on defense, just being able to sit right under the basket and knock shots after they've hit the rim and all those uh, slight different rules. So while USA was maybe worrying about not getting as many foul calls or just running iso ball over and over, I thought that France uh, definitely was kind of calm and controlled the whole time and uh, knew what they were doing. Yeah, I mean, uh, in the 2016 Rio Olympics, the U.S. really dominated every team. I think Spain gave them – somewhat of a run for their money in the championship of that uh, or in the gold medal match of that Olympics. But uh, France really played well enough to beat them, beat the Team USA uh, twice and obviously did once. It was interesting. Uh, every time Team USA seemed to pull away in the, in the gold medal game, France would take a run, which is hard to do when you're playing against eight NBA All-Stars who seem unstoppable on offense. 
so they really put it together. I, I wish we had more uh, sort of international basketball like we like we see with soccer, where there's some friendlies and exhibitions like that. It would be cool to see uh, the guys maybe like in the NBA off season if they wanted to just go around like a summer tour where 10 team or like 10 teams playing like a mini league at Slovenia, Greece, Canada, USA, France, Australia, to just play like a mini round robin, I think would be good for the exposure of international basketball and just to grow the game overall. Yeah, it'd be cool, but you saw how hard it was to recruit players for Olympics. I can't imagine doing it every off season. We saw last year, uh, they did the FIBA World Cup. The USA lost, and they had some good players. I mean, Donovan Mitchell was on that team. I think Tatum was on that team, but I could be wrong. I know Bam Adebayo was on that team, um, and they lost. And you ended up with, like, it, it was all NBA talent, but towards the end you had some like guys on the bench, or bench players, and it wasn't as good. And then pretty much no international players signed up for that. They were not already international. It was all young guys just trying to get – um, some team experience and meet new people around the league. So we, we didn't mention that last year it had happened before we started recording. Actually, I think that was 2019. So it would have been um, like a year before. So I think that was an uh, interesting experiment, but I'm not sure how much exposure that even got the league and that's the world cup. So I'd be interesting to see that happen, but personally, I don't think that's really going to come anytime soon. Yeah, I agree. I don't, I, I don't think it's a realistic idea. I think it'll just be fun. Um, and Team USA didn't just lose in that FIBA World Cup, and they got seventh and even medal. Um, so I think it's good, even despite uh, being a Team USA fan, that we're seeing some more parity across international basketball, uh, which we should see more to come in, uh, in the next few years. So any last thoughts before we sign off for today? No. I mean, we got three more years until the next Olympics. Who knows if we were recording then. I think the what winter Olympics is only in like eight months or something because of uh, how the, how this year was put off. So I doubt we'll talk about the Olympic or winter Olympics, but it's definitely uh, cool to see this international sport that we don't really get to see as often. Yep. And uh, Paris, France is hosting the 2024 summer Olympics. So France is still uh, number two to the United States at that point with fans back in the stands, hopefully at the Olympics, we could see uh, some more contested battles there between team USA and France, but That's all we got for today. Thanks for listening. We'll see you tomorrow.